Kia ora. I cannot wait for you to listen to this week's episode. We have a very special guest. Her name is Jess Stewart. We are talking all things burnout. Oh, burnout sucks big time. We talk about some of the warning signs, how you can also recover from it, putting other people before yourself, what this looks like, why we do this, how we can stop doing this feeling unworthy, some of the inside details around that perfectionism. And then also this cool concept of turning this perfectionism or this need for perfectionism into excellence. It is such an epic conversation. You're probably going to want to listen to it multiple times and take notes. And remember, everything that you learn is going to be so much more valuable if you can actually take it and apply it to your life in some way, shape or form. So as you're listening, don't forget that. Think about what you're taking and what you're learning and ask yourself, how can I go and apply this to my life today. Enjoy the episode and I cannot wait to hear everything that you learn, everything you think about it inside my DMs. The links are in the description below. I'm Janelle Hosking and you beautiful are here to get confident. No more self-doubt, no more overthinking, no more what ifs. I'm helping you grow your confidence so you can live a fulfilled life. Welcome to the show. Jess, super excited to have you on the show today. I'm not sure if you know how we start our episodes, but I always love to get to know a little bit more about you with a bit of fun with a this or that. You're ready to get started. All right, let's go. <laughs> okay, uh, audiobook or ebook? Uh, neither, paperback. <laughs> I'm, I'm a traditionalist. I don't do audio or ebook, although I make ebooks apparently. Yes. Okay. Do you are you a highlight person? Like as you're reading a book, if yeah. something's really good, do you highlight? And turn the pages down. Yeah. I do that too. I too. I haven't gone as far as highlighting yet, but I'm definitely a turn the page down person. It is such a good way to be able to come back to them. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. High intensity interval training or cardio? Probably hit because it gets it over with quicker. I think <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Okay. Shopping in store or online? Not a massive shopper, but when I do, it's online, but that's because I live on an island. True. So it's kind of needs must. Yes. Yes. I get that. Okay. Desktop or laptop? Definitely. My laptop goes everywhere with me. Yeah. So good. And so right now, as we're doing this podcast recording, are you on your laptop at your home office or is there like different types of setups? Yeah, no, I'm at my laptop at my home office and I switch that to a different part of the room that becomes my studio when I'm recording and performing and it comes with me to write books and to go to conferences. It does everything. Wow. The things that laptop has seen. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. In terms of breakfast, if you're a breakfast person, of course, eggs or pancakes? Probably eggs, I think. All right. Very nice. Would that be like a go-to daily thing for you or say a weekend, have a cooked breakfast? More of a weekend. Yeah, more of a weekend. Mm. I'm a bit of a muesli or porridge in the winter fan for normal breakfast, but weekends you want something a bit, and you've got longer, you've got more time on the weekends to kind of cook Mm. something. Yeah, and it feels like a nice occasion, you know. That's awesome. Okay, beautiful. Just a couple more. Crunchy peanut butter or smooth peanut butter? Neither. Neither. I don't like peanut butter. My dog does. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> what does your dog prefer, crunchy or smooth? It's <laughs> a good question. I'll have to ask her. Okay, and in terms of your preferred living situation, would that be a house 
or an apartment style because I know that over the years you've gone between big cities like Wellington um, and now you're over in Waikiki Island what is the go-to for you I used to live in an apartment and I loved it I live in a house Mm -hmm. and I love that too my ambition my dream is to have a tiny house which I guess is a bit of both yeah where do you see yourself living in a tiny house would that be on Waikiki or somewhere else it's a good question well my wife won't live in one with me so that's kind of to be determined (laughs) I might just have to have one as a escape like a holiday home tiny house the bottom of a field somewhere (laughs) <laughs> yes oh that's so cool we've got some land you can come and put it here if you want to that's fine <laughs> there we um, go. <laughs> now you have a seriously fascinating journey that literally led you around the world where you got to meet and spend time with buddhist monks and nuns i want to know what led you to decide to go and take this journey? Yeah, it was accumulation of things, I guess, over the course of maybe five to 10 years. And I'd tried doing everything that I guess the societal norms had posed Mm. as success. So the career, climbing the ladder, the company car, the big job, the house by the beach, the relationship, I'd sort of tried to tick all the boxes. And I didn't feel happy. And I knew that it wasn't working. So I wanted to try something totally different. I wanted to kind of just wipe the slate clean and unpick all the stuff that I'd learned and discover a different way. And I was traveling in Asia and I saw a a Buddhist monk in real life for the first time. And they just looked so peaceful and Mm -hmm. smiley and calm and kind. And I was like, "Mm, how do they do that? What's the secret? That's what I want, but I don't want to be a monk or a nun living in a cave. So it was part of me trying to learn from them and just learn from a different culture. Some of the gaps that maybe I was not taught in my own life Um, and then figure out how that could make a difference, figure out how that weaves together with what we already know. So we're quite people psychology based in the West Mm -hmm. around Mm -hmm. mindset and stuff and science based. And I wanted to combine that with some of the ancient Eastern wisdom, particularly around how our mind works, but also how to get the best out of life and the kind of pursuit of happiness stuff. And I thought, well, these would be the best people to learn from. Mm. and I love to travel so it sort of ticked all the boxes and I needed a break at the time I just uh, was in the process of separating from my relationship leaving my job and I thought right I need to go and research life to figure out what's next if I'm going to rebuild and it looked different. Mm, That is such an incredible journey and it is so real when in our own lives, it's not usually one thing that changes and everything else stays the same. Quite often, it's like we get to this point where pretty much everything in life changes. And then you've got opportunities of, well, do I want to just carry on the way I have been or completely shift everything? And that's obviously the path that you decided to take. Would you say that the monks and the nuns that you met were able to articulate or communicate actually how it was that life was different? Has it I guess, become like a natural custom to them to just do these things that lead them to be happier and more peaceful. Yeah, they're very good at sharing their wisdom and the teachings that they give and trying to apply it to your own life and different Mm. lives. And what I loved about my time that I spent with them is that they never once wanted you to become a Buddhist. It was never about join our religion or this is how you should do things or you're bad if you don't do X, Y, and Z. Very much in very different countries and different traditions, the same reoccurring themes was just like, well, take what works for you and leave what doesn't. And if it helps you, then great. And mm. for me, 
I needed those tools as well. So as much as it, I was learning, it was the real sort of, uh, I guess, where the rubber hits the road is then putting that into practice in your own life. So for me, learning it was interesting and provided mm-hmm. great research for books, mm. but it was me actually experiencing what they talked about and uh, putting it into action myself that changed my life, that made me realize, ah, oh, yeah, this is different. This is better. Wow. This feels more like like it could work. So I think bringing it to life and experiencing it. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, you know, you can do that without traveling to Asia or spending time in retreats and ashrams where there's so much information on the internet and books on this stuff that it's just about how we apply it to our life in a way that makes Mm. sense and the Mm. difference it makes for us. Yeah, I hear what you're saying there. Application and action is everything. You know, it's it's one thing to to go and learn something, but it's a whole other thing to then come back and, um, I guess, intentionally apply that to your life. So it sounds like you would have learned a lot of things while you're over there. What would you say is the biggest thing you've learned that, you know, somebody listening can go take with them and apply to their life after listening to this episode? Oh, there's so much. The challenge. Yeah. A couple of the things that spring out as to what's been instrumental for me, particularly in life, is the notion of impermanence, that everything comes and goes, whether it's something good that happens in your life, it's probably not going to stick around forever. And likewise, if it's something bad, it also isn't going to stick around forever. So therefore, you're prepared to lose the stuff that you would rather keep hold of. But also, you know that anything bad that happens isn't permanent either. I think that's been instrumental. And I think one of the other things that, from a Buddhist perspective, I always used to think that our pursuit of happiness or getting what we want was about us and what we needed. And there's a saying that they have that all happiness there is in the world arises from wanting others to be happy. Mm. And so all of a sudden it's not about you. It's about making other people happy makes you happy. Not that we do that at our own expense, Mm. um, but that was a bit of a sort of, oh, right. Okay. This is where I've been going wrong. Um, But I think in terms of skill set, the thing I use day in, day out has been the mind being able to train and control my mind and understand it has been instrumental, not just mm-hmm. in keeping calm amid the chaos, but dealing with busyness, information overload, my perspective on stuff, um, my resilience, and of course, my work, the way I'm able to focus these days um, is, and the way I'm able to, I guess, uh, cultivate that space in my mind to create that um, mm makes a huge difference. Wow. And, you know, you've clearly learned and experienced so much because you are, as of, you know, this recording, a author of five books. So there is so much goodness that you have learned in order to be able to, you know, put pen to paper or fingers to laptop keys to be able to get that into those books. And predominantly they are for helping busy, high achieving women to go from burnout to brilliance, which, you know, sounds to me like what happened Uh, that led you on this whole journey and helped you to learn all of these amazing things. Do you think that people can experience burnout multiple times in their life? And if so, why do you think that happens? I think the answer is yes. You would assume though, once you've done it once, you would know uh, the lessons and not want to do it again. But I think it's easier said than done, particularly Mm. for women where everybody comes first 
and there's so many other more important things on our to-do list than ourselves and everybody depends on us particularly if we've got family but even at work mm. women tend to be the people that you know when there's any issues or there's care required we gravitate towards and so we end up spreading ourselves too thin we often end up last on our own list and so I think it is something that it's a cycle right you burn mm. out then you recover and if you don't change your habits then it happens again the cycle repeats so I think it's really important and this was true for me once you've burned out it should provide the motivation for you never want to go to go there again and it should mm -hmm. be an opportunity to say right okay what have i learned from this what do i do differently and how do i make sure that doesn't happen again mm -hmm. because the irony is as much as we do everything for everybody else if we're last on our own list we end up good for nothing and good to mm -hmm. no one when we're burned mm -hmm. out so yeah i think it does happen more often than it should and sometimes mm -hmm. we're not aware that it is happening. It's a slow burn, right? I know for my own burnout, in hindsight, it's quite obvious now I look back to see what was happening. But at the time, I was so busy and I was so deep in it that I mm. couldn't see what was happening until it was too late. Wow. What, what were some of those signs in your own experience that you were in a period of burnout because I think that would be super interesting for um, the ladies listening to be able to I guess possibly self-diagnose if that's a little bit of something that's going on in their own lives. And it looks different for everybody and mm. I think in early stages it looks like something that's ex extremely common you know being tired all the time and not being able to take breaks being a little less tolerant of everyone not oh, yeah. sleeping properly finding that we feel a little bit overwhelmed and maybe that you know overflows into anxiety and then I think as it gets more serious so I wrote in the book five stages of burnout and as it gets more serious when we look at those upper echelons of burnout when it is becoming um, a physical or mental illness as well so mm. we are getting those really big signs we're also noticing that we start to check out so there's yes. this disconnect not just from work and the stuff that maybe is in our life that we you know could take or leave but even the stuff we enjoy so for me I was checking out and disconnecting from friends and from social circles from um hobbies that I enjoyed and I'd mm. rationalize that by saying look my job is just busy and I haven't got time for that right now this is only temporary everybody will understand it this is what just comes with having a big job um so I think it's one of those things that when you start to notice those impacts around disconnecting a feeling of hopelessness, this um, not finding joy in anything anymore yeah. and sort of withdrawing almost. I think that's when it's got to those upper echelons. And of course, mm. there's a big difference between I'm a little bit tired to actually I'm depressed and totally disconnected from everything in my life. And that's that slow burn, right? And that's the kind of as it, as it gets worse if we don't mm. deal with it, that's sort of where it's headed. Yeah, absolutely. And also depending on what level you're at, then um, a different solution or a different solve comes into play of how you might be able to overcome that. And obviously, like you said as well, it, it is different for every single person what recovery looks like. But just to get some ideas, what would you say are some things that you can do if you are, let's say, beginning to notice that you're feeling burnt out, but you're not quite on that, the deepest side of it yet you know you're not fully in it but you feel like you're definitely heading downhill yeah and again this is different for people yes. everybody mm. has their own personal preference in this space so I think it's less about what you do and more about how you prioritize it 
And mm. I think when we're in those early stages, it's far too easy for us to say, oh, but I'll do that when I get time, when it's not so crazy and busy. And of course, then when we're at those latter stages, often we hit a wall to the point where we can't do anything. So someone's saying, oh, you should start a gratitude practice or go to yoga. When you're at those latter stages, you can't even do that a lot of the time. Mm. So it's knowing sort of where you're at and then mm -hmm. being able to respond in a way that works for you. So I often encourage my clients and the people in my workshop to do an energy audit. So it's mm. almost like a, a mobile phone icon on where your battery is. So yes. you've always got a percentage number next to your battery. And if it goes less than 20%, it turns red to tell you mm. you need to charge. And if mm. we had that on ourselves, so an indicator that told us how much energy we had and how full our tank was, Mm -hmm. then we'd know when we needed to plug in for charge. And then, of course, the other side of that is, well, what is your equivalent of plugging in for charge? For me, it's meditation and yoga. For mm -hmm. other people, it's 10K runs and sea swims. So we're all very different in that space. But if we know where we're at mm -hmm. in terms of our energy level, then we mm -hmm. know what we need. And we also know mm -hmm. what to expect of ourselves. You know, I can't expect if my battery's only at 60%, I can't expect an 80% performance from myself. Mm. The 60% might be enough to get me through whatever I'm doing that day, but mm -hmm. then I need an early night or I need to go to yoga or I need to eat better food or I need to go for a walk on the beach, whatever it looks like in terms of recharging and refueling. Yes. So the ability of knowing where you're at in terms of your charge then helps you to see or to remember the importance of why you then need to plug in or you know plug out and recharge what are some of the things that contribute to say a hundred percent battery like what does that look like in terms of energy yeah again different depending on your personal preferences but it's anything that contributes to our health and well-being anything that builds mm -hmm. our resilience so it's generally a positive healthy activity people will often tell me that why contributes to them um, <laughs> uh, increasing their battery I you and disagree I'd often, <laughs> I'd often suggest that it's it's probably who you're having the wine with or yes. where you are or the fact that you just get to sit down and relax on a Friday night <laughs> as opposed to the substance itself mm. um but yeah anything so obviously moving our bodies we know that that mm. is key in terms of energizing us that doesn't necessarily mean we all have to join a gym though it can mm -hmm. be a gentle walk along the beach um, with the kids it can be people so there are certain people that fill our cup and certain people that drain our cup oh and yeah. knowing not just who they are but monitoring the amount of time we spend with those people and knowing mm -hmm. because obviously some of these people are in our family and we don't get the choice knowing mm. if there is um, a particularly draining person we have to spend time with how we can then recharge and refuel after that it's our sleep, probably one of the most underrated parts of refueling our tank, one of the easiest, although we all struggle with it these days, uh, is what we eat and drink. Uh, so, you know, whether we've had enough water. Mm -hmm. It's also our hobbies as well, how much time we're devoting to not just the things we enjoy, but the creative pursuits, whether mm -hmm. that's creating food or art or music, mm -hmm. listening to music, um, being grateful. There is such a long list of things that can contribute to this um, refueling of ourselves. Mm -hmm. But pe most people know what what is good for them and what is not good for them in terms of, you know, past experience and the yeah. things we enjoy and the, the times where we've been at our best and why that has been the case. What have we been doing that has made that the case? And of course, vice versa, the times we've been at our worst and what we've <laughs> been doing to make that the case. Yes. Absolutely. I think that's just such a good point that you've 
touched on there because it can be you know I guess as a takeaway from this episode can be go and reflect on those times or that one major time in your life where everything seemed to be running really well and you were flowing what was happening in life then and how were you taking care and looking after yourself and then also doing the flip side on those low times and trying to identify some of those things so that you can uh, keep an eye out for those things moving forward I love that and it makes me think of near the end of last year I went and got a energy clearing from a healer. I've had her on the show before. She's just incredible based in Hamilton. And part of my homework when I left was she told me that I had to block out two to three hours a week to just do nothing, but it was blocked in time and whatever came my way in that moment is whatever I had to spend that time doing. Now, the reality is I haven't actually blocked it in my calendar, but I have been more intentional about having open space. So for instance, um, we recently had a public holiday me being new to self-employment, I'm happy to put in a few hours on public holidays knowing that um, you know my business is growing. So what I did is I could have just filled the whole day with work and tasks and such. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to work up until midday. And then from midday, I'm going to go hang out in the kitchen. And I literally spent five hours in my kitchen. I made a fresh batch of raw chocolate, which was so tasty. Made some... um, sauerkraut from cabbages from my garden and did some other things as well and it was just so soul filling and really like energy increasing you know so definitely after that the battery was just so full and it really is amazing knowing those simple things that can contribute more to our overall quality of life you know and when you and I were talking prior to locking in the episode, you said something that I have not forgotten. And by the way, I've told so many people now, so I'm just (laughs) adopting it. So thank you very much. You said, and I think it really relates to what we're talking about right now is that people need to stop thinking of self-care as a luxury and, you know, realize that it is a necessity. And how do you think we can go about changing or starting to change that mindset of like what you spoke to before putting everybody else before ourselves yeah it's so important and I think for me when we make that switch it solves all of the problems because the reason we don't do enough self-care at the moment isn't because we don't know what to do you know the magazines have been talking about it for decades we all know what we should be doing we just don't Mm. prioritize it and the reason we don't prioritize it is because we see it as indulgent it's a luxury item. It's a nice to have. Therefore, it should wait until I've got time. It should wait till everybody else has finished needing me. And it should be last on the list. And then we feel mm. guilty if it's not, if we're doing mm. that stuff instead of any of the other stuff that we've got to do. And I think the flip for this is it's not a luxury treat for me for when my work is done. It's actually the foundational practices that need to happen for me to give to others. Mm. So that flips it completely because then it's something that we need to do before we can do anything else. So we're actually doing it for everybody else rather than ourselves. And for me, the, and I wouldn't recommend this, but the way I was able to reframe that in my mind is by experiencing burnout myself. So it's only Mm. when I hit rock bottom and went, oh, I can see what happened here. And going through that experience helped me understand that actually this stuff, it can't wait until I'm not busy because I'm never not busy. This stuff has to happen first so mm. that I can be busy without burning out because life is busy, right? That's that's mm-hmm. the 
the reality of it. And so for me now, the stuff I do for my self-care sits in my calendar alongside my meetings because it powers everything else I do in my workday, my meetings, my presentations, my workshops, my writing. If I don't Mm. do that self-care stuff, then I can't do any of the Mm -hmm. other stuff. And I think when we start to see it like that, it becomes something that's more easy to prioritize and less easy to bump off the schedule because somebody else has had an emergency that they want us to solve. Mm, absolutely what would you say to a person who let's say they have a nine to five job and they don't really have full autonomy over that work day how would they be able to still make sure they are taking care of themselves and adding in those self-care things to keep their energy up and to stop them from going into burnout mode I often say um, that self-care is not on our job descriptions, but it should be because it Mm. it enables us to do everything else that's on there. But unfortunately, our organizations um, haven't caught up yet. And so (laughs) in those instances, it's about what we do either side of that schedule, you know, the bits we can control. So what Mm -hmm. time we wake up in the morning, you know, if if we're sleeping in and then dashing out to get to work on time and grabbing a coffee on the way, as opposed to getting up an hour earlier and being able to go for a walk or do some yoga stretches or make mm-hmm. a smoothie, whatever it, whatever it is for you. Um, the same at the other end of the day, you know, how much time are we spending on Netflix? And is there a day a week that we might do something different instead? How much time do we spend on the couch scrolling through social media? And I'm not saying don't do that stuff. I'm saying maybe do it for an hour instead of three. And mm. then we are getting time back to devote to this stuff that we don't. Um, think that we've got time for there's a a saying that there's always time if it's important which I think is so true in this instance if Mm -hmm. you really think that this stuff is important then we make the time for it and that doesn't necessarily mean every day I'm Mm. a massive believer in the 80-20 rule if you're doing this 80% of the time then allow yourself 20% of the time off where life gets busy or you just don't feel like it and that's fine too because if we're doing it 80% of the time the 20% that doesn't happen is is inconsequential. Mm, absolutely. Do you think that some of the reason why people might continue to put their to-do, li- to-do list or put other people before themselves is a sense of unworthiness and, you know, maybe a subconscious belief of not deserving to feel good or not deserving to live this fulfilled life? You know, it just kind of seems a bit, unrealistic or out of reach for them yeah yeah it can come from a lot of places that's probably one of the most common it's Mm. other people are worth more than me therefore their priorities should go further up on my list than than me um it's also the weight of expectation it's Mm. my role to give to others and look after others and if I'm not doing that I'm failing at being a partner a mother a teacher or whatever you are Mm. um I think as well, there's a huge self-love component in here as well. If we love ourselves, we are much more likely to take care of ourselves. And I think that, you know, in terms of um, setting boundaries around this stuff to make our own self-care happen. Mm. I um, read Brené Brown's Atlas of the Heart over Christmas, and there's a beautiful quote in there from Prentice Hemphill um, that says, boundaries is the distance from which I can love both myself and you. So we often think as boundaries as being, oh, if I have to say no, I'm being mean, and therefore Mm. we don't. So there's a huge Mm. amount of guilt, particularly for women associated with this stuff. And I think when we start to look at boundaries as actually it's my way of loving myself and you all at the same time, it's Mm -hmm. so much easier to do without the same guilt that comes with it. Um, 
but easier said than done right because if For we sure. don't have self-worth and we don't love ourselves everything becomes harder Mm -hmm. it's it's such a journey and you know I talk to my clients about this every single day and no doubt you do in your business as well and I feel like it's something that we have the uh, opportunity to continue to work on and to continue to grow through and for me that's a way of um, I guess having some grace and knowing that we're human and we don't have to be perfect and we don't have to get it right all the time, but it's just this journey that we're on. And I literally had a conversation with a client last week who was telling me who that she was quite, um, I guess, upset with her husband because she had booked in to go to a Pilates class. And then right before she was about to leave for the Pilates class, he asked her for help. And she felt that because he needed her help, she couldn't go to her Pilates class. And I said to her, well, you know, did you, did you talk to him? Did you let him know that you had something else booked in? And obviously, you know, just had a really beautiful open conversation about it. And the thing that we all get to work on is setting those boundaries. And I love that quote you referred to around putting the boundaries in place is it's not just one-sided then has impacts for both sides and it's really beneficial so thank you so much for sharing that and that sounds like a beautiful book to have read over the break as well yes it's a fabulous book I'd recommend it <laughs> yeah Brene Brown is awesome for sure do you think that another aspect of um I guess things that lead us particularly women to burnout is this idea of trying to be perfectionists or even the belief already that we are perfectionists and that we have to do everything. We can't hand things on to others or, you know, nobody else can do it as good as we can, which then results in us being burnt out because we're trying to do too much. A hundred percent. I think perfectionism, I mean, there's two things really. There's comparison and perfectionism, and I think they're both Ooh. linked. We mm. compare to others and then we want to be better. Um, or at least the same as what we assume they are they are doing yeah. <laughs> and so that's where I think the perfectionism comes from and I think perfectionism is always this thing that it's held up as the standard we should all aspire to and yet it isn't ever achievable so we're setting ourselves up to fail by saying right this is how life has to look this is how I have to look this is how my day has to look these are all the things I should be doing and then we can't and we feel like we've failed. Mm. The thing in perfectionist, with a perfectionist's mind is that there's no middle ground. There's never kind of a good enough space. It's either perfect or failure. And of course, most mm. of the time it's failure because mm. perfect isn't achievable. Often in that space, we allow perfection to become the enemy of excellence. So instead of being excellent and saying, that was great, that's enough, we want to go even further and achieve more than excellence. And we can't. And then mm. we beat ourselves up being perfect so I think certainly perfectionism is this drive for us to over deliver mm -hmm. often in a bit to prove ourselves yes if I get it perfect then I know I'm good enough and that is a massive contributing factor to burnout I think wow so it literally ties in to the the self-worth element again of you know if we are trying to do things outside of ourselves that are going to make us believe that we're worthy, we could end up down this path of being burnt out. And that's a really um, challenging, hard place to come back from. So these are really beautiful, I guess, warning signs that we can take note of and keep in our minds. What would you say to anybody who 
comes to you and tells you that they are, you know, a self-proclaimed, a self-proclaimed <laughs> perfectionist. How, how would you try and, um, I guess, converse with them over the reality that perfectionism is just holding them back from being their best? Yeah, yeah, and there are plenty. <laughs> and I think sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's helping people understand that actually done is better than perfect. And if you're so focused on perfect, it's never going to be done because you're so busy perfecting whatever it is, whether that's work or life. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing when we start understanding that perfection isn't achievable, we're never going to look like an airbrushed photo in a magazine. Our mm -hmm. life is never going to be perfect. And yet if that's what we're aspiring to be, then if we don't allow ourselves to settle for excellence, we're always going to miss out on it being good enough. And this doesn't necessarily mean we do a crap job or we settle for less. No. It's helping us understand what is and isn't achievable. And that actually excellence is the top of the, the dial, if you like. So if, if 100% was the top of the dial, that's excellence. But perfectionists want to go to 120, which isn't <laughs> yeah. possible because there's only 100% on the dial. And mm. I think when we start to understand that and the fact that actually the reason we all pursue perfectionism is because we want to do a good job when we start to understand that actually it's the pursuit of perfection that takes us away from doing a good job and lessens mm. our energy and our effectiveness then we start to be more open to settling for excellence mm. wow that is some very impactful stuff there and i can't help but think who who has the criteria for perfectionism anyway you know if we're striving to be perfectionists where is that list of what perfection actually looks like you know and because quite often there is no such thing as and we haven't even defined that for ourselves so um sometimes it makes me think how you said about um you know excellent is is better or done is better than never finishing kind of thing and that idea of well if it's not perfect yet and it's not done yet then I can't be rejected yet you know and that's another thing around that self-worth stuff so there is so much goodness in this chat Jess I'm loving it <laughs> good Okay, so what would you say to somebody who um, is wanting to, I guess, overcome this ideal of perfectionism in a way that's going to allow them to feel one step at a time and, you know, just taking each day as it comes along uh, with releasing that need for being perfect? My experience tells me that the person in the room with the high expectations of us is normally us. <laughs> you know, mm. Nobody has higher expectations of you than you do yourself. So I think the first point is to then check that with reality. Often what we're we are assuming is excellence is actually our version of perfectionism. So when we check in with reality, we might know that actually we don't need to do 120, 130%, it's 100. And that's all that anybody else requires. And anything we do above that is a waste of our time, effort and energy. And it's probably going to make it worse, not better. So it's the reality check, first of all, to align our own expectations with reality, because perfectionists will always over exaggerate their own expectations of themselves. That's that's how it works. Mm. And I think beyond that, it's understanding that what we want to achieve, right, is, is a job well done. Mm. And that's we do that by not aiming for perfection, by just doing a job well done, this excellence mm. piece. But I think there's also a part in there around 
the control that we have. Mm, so control. Thing with perfectionism, <laughs> no one will do it as well as I can, right? Which means I do everything and I don't mm -hmm. delegate and I don't ask for help and support. And I think that's a massive problem where burnout's concerned. And, you know, even at home, there's a reason that women do most of the stuff around the home because we're better at it. And it's mm. painful often to ask our partners or children to do the laundry or put away the dishes or make the dinner because they often do quite a shit job. <laughs> so <laughs> therefore we end up taking it all on because we can do it our way and mm. we'll do it better. So sometimes mm. it's also about releasing our expectations of others and go, okay, well, does the dishwasher have to be stacked perfectly? Or would it just do me good to have half an hour off tonight to do something else and let somebody else do it, even though I know it's not going to be as good? So there's mm. our own expectations and then there's how we pass that on to others as well, which I think are, are keys to unlocking this these perfectionist tendencies within you listening at home need to as soon as this episode's done like re-listen to it again and take notes if you haven't been because there is so much goodness in here now before we finish up Jess you are a professional speaker which I love that is so cool why don't you tell us some of the speaking engagements that you have got coming up and let us know if there's any way we can you know come and see you in person or even virtually I know that you do online workshops and all that good stuff as well would love to to get some more of this action for sure <laughs> yeah well the website's the best place to go to and on there there's heaps of videos as well I've got a YouTube channel so there's always an opportunity to see me speak even when I'm not speaking live um, mm. a lot of the speaking I'm doing these days is for conferences and events so people book me to come into their organizations or to go to their conference and this year I've got some exciting ones lined up that are overseas for the first time since Ooh. COVID which is nice wow. so Australia Where are you going? Australia cool. and Fiji and maybe even London so I'm looking forward to that if that one comes up because that's where my family are based so uh, nice to be able to tie in a business trip with uh, yes. with pleasure as well um but yeah the website's the best place to to head there's an events tab on there doing quite a lot around International Women's Day so March is always Beautiful. a busy time and a full full schedule um, but there's plenty on the website to get stuck into if this has resonated and, and you want more. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And also make sure that when you are checking out Jess's website, you go look at her books as well. Because like I said earlier, there's five of them and there is so much goodness that we can all, myself included, learn from Jess's own journey um, of, you know, traveling the world, changing your whole life completely, and then being able to bring those learnings back and share those with others in the work that you do now as well. So thank you you so much for being on the show today is there anything else you would like to share or say before we finish up no it's been a pleasure thanks for having me and lovely to chat